Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay, your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at AM 1290, KZSB. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Atacapa Streets and in Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you doing today? Well, my grandchild is here. Um, oh, how fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you ever had a four and a half year old, but they don't talk. They scream. Are you aware of that? Yes. Actually, some 11 year olds also scream and don't talk. Oh, okay. my, my favorite line is volume control. Yeah. Just well, think of it this way. It's good for grandparents. Then, you know, you don't have to turn. You can turn down your hearing aids. Well, I call it inside voice, but it doesn't help. That That's what we used to call it. Yes, yes, that is true. So, so let me so let me ask you a question. Do we have a guest that doesn't shout today? Well, I, I don't know about his shouting abilities or not, but we do have Chad Prentice, who's a partner at Mayo and Prentice Law Firm with us here today. So, Chad, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Diane and Neil. And I will try not to shout too much for you, Neil, today. Okay, good. Uh, so the f- first article we have today is um, by our favorite columnist in the Wall Street Journal, uh, Jason Swag. Um, it's entitled Beat the Market by Picking the Market. And every once in a while, I read an article, and I've been involved in the stock market for a long time, and I had never heard of this. But basically, fund managers can easily beat uh, the market by simply changing which market they're trying to beat. And a new study um, by the University of Central Florida and the University of Arizona found that between 2006 and 2018, 37% of all stock mutual funds hold this kind of switcheroo. And what they did is they just changed the uh, benchmark that they were comparing against. And in two-thirds of the cases, their past returns look better by simply changing the benchmark. It's just unbelievable. So when a fund advertises, you know, we beat our benchmark every single year, two-thirds of them change, two-thirds of them, three-quarters of them by changed their benchmark to make it better for their comparisons. It's just quite unbelievable. You know, I, I think though it's less malicious than that article is actually making it out to be. For a long time, everyone compared to the S&P 500. And I think the 2000s made people really look at that and say, okay, wow, we're really beating the S&P 500 if say, for instance, you had some international exposure because from 2000 to 2010, the US market didn't do as well. And so- when you start having outsized returns, it, it looks a little wonky. And so I think at that point, a lot of people who did have that international exposure moved to something like the All World Index as opposed to just the straight S&P 500. But yes, it can be manipulated as to what people are measuring themselves against. Yeah, as the article said, two thirds of the cases, um, the returns were better. So um, it statistically, it just shows no one's rushing to change the index to make themselves look worse. Uh, the next article is was interesting because it's talking about private equity companies now beginning to do roll-ups. Roll-ups are, have been around for years. And what a roll-up is, is you go out and you buy small companies in one industry and you put them together and they make a big company. Well, the article is a very lengthy article and it talks about one of the latest uh, roll-ups uh, darlings in the private equity business, which are car washes. And I said, okay, that's interesting. Why would they want to buy a car wash? Well, car washes are, and this is an example of how a private equity uh, brain trust can actually help these small businesses. The problem with car washes, which is not surprising, is that if it rains, they don't have any revenue. So the average um, customer 
uses uh, a car wash about twice a month. And but the revenue stream is uneven. So what these private equity firms have done is they've bought these car washes and they change the way they price their product where they offer to give um, they all they sell uh, a $18 a month, for example, uh, unlimited car wash certificate. And if you use two car washes, you come out even. If you use more car washes, you actually do better. But the, the benefit is if you have these memberships where you can just debit somebody's credit card, your revenue stream becomes very, very consistent. And so this clearly is clearly that article research was done not in Santa Barbara because it's like $75 a month. <laughs> right, right. Well, this is exactly, exactly. So anyway, I was thinking of opening a car wash, but I think that's my, my time has passed for doing that. Uh, the if next article. At, if you open one at 10 bucks a wash, I'll be there. Right. <laughs> uh, the next article is entitled the, the uh, which is the whole story is that uh, S and P five hundred earnings in the second quarter um, would have been down one point eight percent if it wasn't for the energy stocks. Energy stocks accounted for more than a hundred percent of the earnings uh, increase, and so when people talk about it was a better second quarter. It wasn't a better second quarter. It's a better second quarter because energy prices were rising dramatically because of Ukraine and other factors. And as a result, the S&P's earnings look better than they really were. Um, the next article is entitled, Do What Warren Buffett Does. And it says in the article that Berkshire Hathaway has been uh, changing the way they're investing their cash. And they have a lot of cash. They've got $105 billion in cash as of June 30th. And what they're investing in is U.S. Treasury bills. And they're as high, the yield now on Treasury bills are as high as 3, 3%, depending upon which, which period you buy. And um, what Buffett's saying, what the article is saying, with maturities between three months, six months, and 12 months, uh, you can get a return that's pretty attractive, and it's a government bond, and it's short-term, so you're not taking any long-term yield risk. Um, the next article um, is about the effect of rising interest rates on fintech le lenders. And fintech lenders are, for example, uh, Carvana, the uh, used car sales uh, company, where they have been um, basically borrowing money uh, in order to lend money to, for people to buy cars. And the way they've been borrowing money is they've been issuing uh, securitized loans packages based on their prior sales. And what's happening now is, first of all, because Carvana and Mosaic and other companies that have used this spread of basically borrowing for very, very little and then charging a much higher return, particularly for low credit uh, buyers, they've essentially been benefiting from these very, very low interest rates. And now that interest rates are rising, and people are more, uh, investors are more uh, concerned about uh, uh, lender risk, um, about borrower risk. Um, they're finding it very, very difficult to uh, find ways of, uh, uh, in, uh, of raising money. And um, example here is that um, some people and this is the example in this article, which I find to be unbelievable, is that uh, some of these lenders have been lending money at 25% uh, for people that have very, very low, very, very low credit scores. Uh, anyway, the the the, the bond market that is now is huge. I know from what the, they were borrowing at to what they were lending it out at. That's crazy. Yeah, and now they can't borrow. And so what you've got here is a situation where everyone's getting squeezed. And so in the case of Carvana, not only are interest rates going up and they're not able to refinance their portfolio to lend out more money, the used car market is getting weaker, if certainly in their line of business. So, I mean, that's probably why the stock is down 80% or whatever in the last few months. Anyway, so this is like a sort of a snapshot of how interest rates are particularly hurting those that were really benefiting from these crazy low interest rates. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. Mm -hmm. 
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having with us today, attorney Chad Prentice, who's a partner at Mayo and Prentice here in Santa Barbara. And so Chad, thanks for being here with us. Sure, happy, Diane and Neil. I appreciate it. And so tell us what type of law do you specialize in? Absolutely. So um, my law firm, Mayhill and Prentice, uh, primarily handles cases where people are badly injured in accidents of all types, uh, trucking accidents, car accidents, uh, dog attacks, um, death cases, all sorts of different accidents. So we're technically referred to as personal injury attorneys, and we help people through that process and getting better and getting right medical care and um, helping them through that process. So, you know, tell us, let's go back a little ways. Where are you from and did you always want to be an attorney? Well, that's a, that's a great question. So I, I was born and raised in Woodland Hills, which is San Fernando Valley back in the 70s and 80s. And so um, did I always want to be an attorney? I think so. Uh, I, I um, knew kind of in high school when I was going to go to college that I probably want to study pre-law. So I did that at UCSB. Um, an interesting story is when I graduated law school, at age 24, my parents attended and my mom had framed um, kind of an essay I wrote in fourth grade. And so in fourth grade, I, they asked you what you want to be. And I talked about being an attorney in fourth grade. And I had totally forgotten that I'd written that essay. So it was really cute to get back. Um, and, and the funny part about it, when I read the essay, little do you know in fourth grade, but I said, I want to be a defendant. And I didn't really understand the terminology because a defendant is someone generally who commits crime or gets sued. So, you know, no, didn't you didn't want it. to be a defendant. You might have wanted to represent the defendant. <laughs> I think that was probably what I was thinking back then. And um, I just didn't quite get the language right. But so, yeah, I think, it, you know, when I was a little kid and, you know, I think most people, their parents tell them they're good at arguing. So that leads them down that path, perhaps. So I got that from Absolutely. my mom. And so, you know, talking about that defendant versus um, plaintiff you primarily do plaintiff's work. So share with us what made you make that decision to go into plaintiff's work as opposed to defense work like your fourth grade self thought you wanted to do. Yeah, it's a great question. 
Um, so my first job was working for an attorney in town who primarily represented Walmart stores throughout Southern California. So there was five or six young attorneys. We traveled all over California defending Walmart stores from basically Bakersfield, Santa Barbara, Paso Robles, all the way down to the San Diego border and uh, just trying cases all over the state. I mean, I, would, I tried 11 jury trials a year um, all over the state getting my feet wet. But um, in 2004, I was, I was working with Tyrone Mayo. We were both younger attorneys. We started our own law firm in 2004 and we quickly realized we wanted to help people rather than represent big corporations um, and also stay more local by switching over to representing people, you get to help the community, you get to help people who are really in need that are struggling and don't know how to deal with insurance companies. And then also it allowed us, we were both having children at the time to stay home more and we could do work locally. If you represent a big corporate defendant and they say, I've got 10 cases in San Diego, you kind of start traveling down to San Diego to do that work. So that's kind of how we transitioned from doing corporate work into doing plaintiff's work. So wouldn't you say, though, that that was actually a risky decision that you both embarked on as, you know, a, working for a big corporation, there's usually a case, a, a case flow coming your way. Con consequently, you're getting paid. And so when you decided to make that shift to plaintiff's work, that must have been felt a little uncomfortable and risky. How did you go yeah, we, about getting your first cases? And did it happen naturally and then you made the decision or did it did you make that decision and then? go after that plaintiff's work. Yeah, that's that's true. It, it was risky. Um, I can think back to the those first couple of years when we left the other law firm and started our own firm in 2004. I think my wife was pregnant with our third child and my law partner just had triplet boys. So both starting our own law firm and then... Okay, you've answered it. You just weren't in your right frame of mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You both went a we, little off the rails. <laughs> right. We weren't sleeping well. We were tired. So we just decided to try something else. But yeah, it was very risky, but you know, we just immediately built a website that de described who we were and we started, you know, talking to people about what we do differently than what we talked to them about before. And both Tyrone and I at the old firm would handle plaintiff cases every now and then. You know, someone would call me and say I was in an automobile accident, can you help me? And we would help them and represent them. So we'd had a little bit of that experience and we both knew we really enjoyed it. And um, we really like to, you know, see the look on someone's face when their case resolved and, you know, they were taken care of financially for the injuries they went through. So, but it was risky. And there were a couple of years there where as we we're building the business that, you know, as everybody is when they're a young professional that you're nervous about, is this going to work? But now it's been almost 20 years and, it, you know, it's just fantastic. So, well, that's also particularly true for plaintiff's work because you don't get paid until somebody, uh, until there's a resolution. So it's not like you're a corporate lawyer where you're being paid monthly. So I guess it's really difficult to start from scratch in that line of work because a couple of years could go by without any revenue. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the case, Neil. And so, I mean, early on, we did a lot of different things. Um, we did some, some employment work. We still had a couple defense companies that we did work for as we transitioned to the plaintiff side. But yes, working on a contingency fee, you are, you know, you're in line with your clients. So you get your fee when the case ultimately settles or goes to verdict. So that that's a it's a risky proposition. It's a risky business model, but you know, it's very rewarding. And once you do it for many years, then it seems to work. So I don't I wouldn't want to do it any other way after after doing it the way we do it now. So but isn't it interesting that you know when you hire a corporate lawyer, you you're looking at various factors, including the fee schedule. But for plaintiff's law, isn't the fee pretty much the same? It's a percentage. And so you really, the top tier firms are probably going to be the best position to get more business because if you're a potential client, if you're going to pay the same percentage, you're better off with the best firm. So until you become the best firm, it's probably really difficult to break in. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. Yes, I mean, generally, generally, most personal injury firms, their fee structure is similar to other personal injury firms. One third of the recovery, if you file a lawsuit, generally 40%. Some firms do go up to 45% if they try the case. We don't do that. Um, 
But, you know, there's all sorts of factors when someone's looking at hiring you. Um, I, I like to think we're the best in, in the you know community. We've been here 20 years. We have four great partners that have a lot of experience. Um, but people look at other factors such as I want a local firm. You can go to Los Angeles and get a 30-person personal injury law firm that, you know, settles $100 million cases all the time. But you might not get the personal service you do from a local Santa Barbara firm where the main attorney you hire, you come and you hire me, I'm the one working on your file. So they look at that. They look at referrals. You know, 90% of our work is referrals. So if Diane says, hey, you got to use Chad Prentice. He's the best in town. I know him personally. That goes a long way as well. So there's different factors they look at rather than just the fee. And are you the biggest firm? Are you a smaller firm? What size you are? That type of thing. And I guess a lot of the recommendations come from the prospective client's personal attorney, because the person I would call first would be my own attorney. And I would say, you know, I have a, a, a possible claim here. I know you don't do this kind of work, but who do you recommend? Yeah, that's absolutely true. We, our law firm primarily relies on referrals. A lot of referrals come from other attorneys in town. And similarly, I refer, I have clients that need estate work. So I'll refer them to an estate planning attorney or I have clients that sometimes later on they have some criminal issue with family or friends and we refer out. So I think the network of attorneys in this town is very strong. And um, that's where a lot of the business uh, happens between those attorneys. And you get to know each other over the years. So you know, they're good. You know, you trust them. They know they can do, you, they can do a good job. So the referrals kind of go both ways. So you said something interesting earlier that you started with a website and in 2004, you know, it, it, nowadays everyone's like, oh yeah, obviously. But in 2004, you know, most law firms did not have websites at that point in time. And so did you have some marketing help or were, was it just where you were at? What, what made you do a, a website off the bat? It's kind of where we're at. I think we saw the writing on the wall and we realized you need to have a website. Um, Shortly the app thereafter, SEO campaigns were starting. So, you know, we got involved in that early on. Um, interesting story. When we were first starting, probably 2005, we were approached by somebody who wanted to sell their law firm. And they were a fairly successful personal injury attorney. And they had the back page of the yellow pages. And you got the option for the back page of the yellow pages. And, and that was a big part of the sale. Like you get the, you know, the back page. It's a contract for the next four years. We kind of felt like that's disappearing. This is like 2005, 2006, and sure enough, within a few years, there you know not many people open the yellow pages anymore. So um, we just you know you make a marketing plan, a business plan, and you go with it. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. The Community Emergency Response Team, also known as the CERT program, educates people about disaster preparedness and trains them in basic disaster response skills. With more information about this volunteer program, here's Liliana Encinas. With the CERT volunteers, we have emergency operations volunteers, and then we have instructor volunteers for CERT, and they're pretty engaged. I just think that it's very rewarding because volunteers, they're kind of like one of the best resources we have out there because they're familiar with the community that we want to serve and they're also familiar with the program. So they kind of serve as that liaison between the agency and the community and it's just such an altruistic way of being part of the community. To learn more about the Community Emergency Response Team, also known as CERT, call Liliana at 805-564-5778. 805-564-5778. The Smithsonian Institution, the world's largest museum and research complex, was founded this month in 1846. 
Made up of 21 museums and galleries, the National Zoo, and nine research centers, it has some 155 million items in its collections. Including the Smithsonian, there are nearly 5,300 mostly modest museums in the U.S. employing 96,000 people. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So Chad, before the break, we were talking about you, you know, making that transition from a defense for a defense attorney to a plaintiff's attorney. So as one of the top plaintiff's attorneys here in Santa Barbara County, you know, you, you do get an opportunity to really pick your cases. However, as a plaintiff's attorney, there are so many factors that that come into play when you're deciding whether or not to take a case. Could you share with us some of your thinking when you're evaluating a case and and how you make that call? Because I've got to imagine it's got to be difficult when you have a client in front of you having to evaluate the financial um, repercussions of the case. Absolutely. So um, we probably maybe get 10 to 15 inquiries a week about potential cases. And um, now that COVID's kind of slowed down, more people are coming into the office to meet with us. And um, we might take one or two cases a week. So the rest of the people, we talk to them. Anyone who calls in that's referred to us or has a question, we talk to them. We try to give them some advice. Um, but to take a case and move forward with it, there's a number of factors. One, I, I like to represent good people. You know, so that's one thing. You know, if it's a really nice person, it doesn't matter the size of the case. We have staff here. We have four attorneys and six staff. We will help anyone if the case is right. Um, so people who are really good people who are struggling with the insurance company, um, Obviously, we look at, is there a potential for recovery for that person? Is there insurance on the other side or whatever the claim may be? Is there a potential for recovery? Because if there's not a potential for recovery, I don't want to take that person down a six-month or a year or two-year you know, avenue if we're not going to be able, uh, be able to be uh, successful for them. But um, when we're at a point in our career, we like to help anybody who really needs it, who's struggling with dealing with the other side's insurance company. And um, those are some of the factors we look at. Recovery, it's a good person that really needs our help. Is it still true that insurance companies um, are incentivized by their clients to um, stretch it out because the time value of money? So they're trying to delay it and you're trying to move things along or is there a way to go to them and say, look, you know who I am and the longer you hold out, the more... Uh, uh, aggressive I'm going to become. And because they know who you are, you can shorten that time frame. Yeah, certainly in, in many, many situations, the fact that, you know, I've been doing this 25 years and we've been a law firm in town for a lot of years. The insurance companies know us, know us the insurance company lawyers know us for almost every automobile insurance carrier out there. So I think most of the time insurance companies, despite wanting to extend the time, are fair and work with us to try to reach a good resolution for our client. But there are certain situations where you have a very large case. I have a, you know, a case right now. It's uh, unfortunately a very sad. Someone lost their child who was a 25 year old in a bad car accident with a big corporate defendant. And when you're talking about um, compensation in multiple seven figures, that insurance company doesn't have any incentive to do that early. They just don't. So it just depends. Most cases, they're, everybody's incentivized to try to resolve it early, fair, move through it, be fair to everyone. But now and then you do get in those situations where an insurance company honestly doesn't want to pay five to $10 million now if they can wait two years. That's just the business model they're in. They get to hold on to those funds. So sometimes we're pushing it all the way to the day of trial before we settle the case. So do you also um, do bad faith cases? We don't do bad faith per se. Um, there's an interesting part of the law that you bring up is 
if someone's insured, let's say you cause an accident, Diane, and your insurance policy is $100,000, but you hurt someone real bad and they demand the $100,000. Well, it's not your decision. It's your insurance company's decision because it's their money. So if they say, no, we're not going to pay that, and you give them a reasonable amount of time to pay it, and they have all the medical bills, this person's really injured, and they make the decision not to pay it, it exposes you as they're insured to a verdict above that $100,000, okay? So if I took that case to trial and the jury gave me a million dollars, the insurance company's on the hook for 100,000, you personally could be on the hook for the additional 900,000. It's an interesting area in the law where you then would have a bad faith claim against your insurance company because you'd say, why didn't you settle this for 100,000 when you could have? So sometimes we'll get a situation like that, you'll assign the rights to us to go after the insurance company. But typically I will then hire a bad faith attorney that only does that. That's their specific thing to go after an insurance company for that, typically. So it doesn't happen too often, but every now and then. Gotcha. So how often, what, what percentage of your cases would you say that you settle versus actually go all the way to trial? And does it usually have a um, correlation to how much, um, how many dollars are part of the recovery? Yeah, I wouldn't say there's necessarily a correlation with trial and the dollars we're looking for or the type of case. Um, I would say 15 years ago, we try a lot more cases. Uh, now that we've established and uh, between uh, Tyrone and me, we probably have 100 jury trials. So all the insurance companies know that we'll go to trial if we need to. Uh, we'll hire the experts. We'll prepare. We're ready to go. I've presented so many cases to jurors or judges or arbitrators. So very few actually go to trial. I'd say less than 2%. So do almost you think that, every, that, that almost everything settles? Right. So so a lot of that is based upon your reputation and the insurance company is knowing that you're not just bluffing, but in fact, your seasoned trial, trial attorneys, which makes a big difference than it being your first case. I think so. I, I mean, we've been told that by mediators that try to settle cases. They'll say, this insurance company knows you guys will go to trial, so that's why we're getting this type of offer. I think the experience of going to trial also generates larger offers. There, I mean, I know there are attorneys that just don't try cases. So when push comes to shove and you have a trial date coming up in a week, the insurance company knows that. So maybe the settlement offer isn't going to be as strong as it will be if we're handling the case. Or another law firm that tries cases and knows what they're doing in the courtroom. Now, given the extensive network in Santa Barbara of attorneys, do you work with attorneys that you know that will not take it to trial and do they call you in in the 11th hour? Yes, we do get called in. I mean, some, most of the time we say no thank you in the 11th hour, but um, I do... You're like, but in the yeah. 10th hour, maybe we'll evaluate maybe it. The, <laughs> yeah. I, I partner with a couple different attorneys that almost... Once the case gets filed and they're litigating it, they bring us in to do that part. They know, like, bring us in earlier. Don't call me a week before trial. That's a very typical place to take over. But we do partner with uh, law firms locally who are looking for someone who will litigate a case, hire the experts, pay for the experts, take all the depositions, and potentially go to trial. There's several firms in town that call us on occasion for the, those services. So uh, since COVID... Go ahead, Neil. Yeah. Do, do you ever take cases um, that appear to be uh, uh, defense work, but actually aren't? Uh, and if, if my dog bites somebody um, and uh, I'm not really comfortable with my insurance company, can I hire you to, def to defend me because I don't want to get into a situation where I have an issue with uh, this case? Yeah, I mean, we generally do plaintiff's work, but we do, I, I mean, I just had a situation where I helped out a friend that whose dog bit somebody else and they didn't want it to go through their insurance. It wasn't a bad bite. They called me and I helped them out. And I actually was working with the plaintiff's attorney on the other side who I know in town. And we were able to settle the case outside of insurance. Um, it's not generally our business plan or our business model, but for friends or contacts that need our help, we're happy to do that. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. Hey, guys, let's play some video games. 
This new dad plays video games with his sons But the challenge feels like he's lifting a metric ton So many buttons! His avatar just stares at the walls Twists and turns and somehow falls Help me! He's tangled up in the controller's cords I just don't understand this crazy digital world Crazy, crazy digital world But the love from his kids is totally apparent. Ooh. See, you don't have to be perfect to be the perfect parent. You should have just played catch. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of siblings in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. The Land Trust for Santa Barbara County conserves natural resources, agricultural land, and open spaces for the benefit of present and future generations. Here's Executive Director Meredith Hendricks. What we're trying to do at the Land Trust is protect land forever. Agriculture, conservation, habitat, recreation. Our mission is to sustain the beauty and the habitat, the recreation, and the agriculture values throughout Santa Barbara County, every part of it. We'd love to have you sign up for our newsletter and our electronic newsletter. You can do that through our website, svlandtrust.org. We love telephone calls and, and also write me a handwritten note if you'd prefer, and I'll write you back. Our website is the best place to sign up for regular updates about our work, svlandtrust.org. To learn more about the Land Trust for Santa Barbara County and their efforts to preserve natural resources and agricultural land, go to svlandtrust.org or call 805-966-4520. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So, Chad, we were talking earlier um, about California law. And as you do a lot of auto accidents, you know, the fact that the minimum um, insurance limits in California are 15,000 over 30,000. Explain to us what that means. And, you know, as somebody who who just is a lay person out there, you know, you hear $15,000 and, you know, I don't know, these cars are so expensive these days, that's barely a headlight. So explain to us what that is and why it hasn't been kept up with inflation. Sure. That's a great question. So the minimum limits in California to drive an automobile are what's called $5,000 in property damage and then $15,000 slash $30,000 for bodily injury for if you injure somebody. And so what that means, if, if I were involved in an accident and I hurt somebody, my insurance would pay them up to $15,000 if I had the minimum policy. There are two people in the car. They would pay up to $30,000, 15 each. There's three people in the car. The three people would have to split the $30,000. So the most to any accident your insurance would pay would be 15 to one person or 30 for the entire accident. Um, that was established in the early to mid 1970s. And um, as Neil and I can remember, Diane, you're a little younger, you could buy a house for $15,000 in the mid, mid 1970s. So at the time that that number was established, that was pretty reasonable. You could go to the emergency room, have surgery, orthopedic follow-up, and all your bills might equal three or $4,000. Um, now, if you go to Cottage Hospital for an emergency room visit and get a CT scan and some x-rays, that bill alone is almost $15,000. So that's what that means. And it's it's woefully low for what the medical bills are, for people's lost income if they're hurt and they can't work, things like that. And it hasn't changed because the insurance industry is a very strong lobbying industry. So uh, it, it's come up several times as a potential ballot measure, but it hasn't, hasn't changed. So that's what we're faced with uh, as far as the limits of liability. So some of my clients, unfortunately, are hurt by people with very, very low limits. So then let's talk for a minute about uninsured motorist insurance, which is something that you, as the as 
when you have a car, you have that option to increase your own uninsured motorist insurance. And I find myself explaining this a lot to people. Could you share with us what that is and how people should use it? Sure, absolutely. So yeah, you can purchase uninsured slash uninsured motorist coverage as part of your protection. You can't have more uninsured coverage than you actually buy for bodily injury coverage. So if you choose to only buy a $15,000 policy in the event you hurt somebody else, you can't get more than that for uninsured coverage. What we find though is there's a lot of people here that have a lot of bodily injury coverage in case they hurt somebody else and have very low uninsured motorist coverage. And we tell people if you can afford it, and, and actually uninsured motorist is really a fraction of the premium cost as the rest of the insurance, if you can afford that, take it up as high as you can. Because there are a lot of people out there that are driving that don't have insurance at all. They just drive around without insurance or they have the minimum limits. And so how that would work, Diane, is if, you know, somewhere in one of my clients were involved in a bad accident and they have you know medical bills of $50,000 and lost income, but the other driver only has a $15,000 policy, we would be able to get that $15,000 policy and then make a claim against our client's uninsured motorist protection. If they have a $250,000 policy, now you make a claim up to $250,000. So it's really a way of protecting yourself in the event you're hurt by somebody else who chooses to have very low insurance or no insurance. So, you know, when we look at it and we talk to clients, it's about what you can afford and how much protection you really want. Insurance is risk, right? So how much do you want to protect? And so typically if you are higher income earning person where you have a risk of really losing a lot of income by being hurt, you might want more UIM or underinsured motorist protection. So with um, you know my new question to everybody is, so as a business owner, how has COVID affected your practice and, and either for good or bad? Um, well, that's a great question. So initially, Nobody was out and about, so I think no it was getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's be real. I mean, there were there were very few accidents for the first six months. Now we're at a place in our business where we've been doing this a long time. It's kind of nice to take a little bit of a break for a while. All the courts were closed for six months or so, so nothing was going to trial. Um, people were afraid to take depositions in person or do settlement conferences. So probably six months, really, this business just kind of stalled across the board all legal businesses or a lot of them. Um, what has come, but but that's changed. In the last year and a half, everybody's out about more. The courts are now open. Um, trials are happening, depositions, mediations. The one great thing that I think has come out of this is Zoom. And we're on a Zoom right now. I don't know if I, you know, but all, almost 90% of depositions, court appearances, settlement conferences are all done by Zoom. And I think that's going to hold pattern as we go forward because it's really convenient to everybody not to have to drive to some law office in Los Angeles to do a deposition for three hours and drive back. Um, so that's been a fantastic uh, change in our business and in the legal profession that I hope, you know, stays on for the rest of my career. Yeah. And, and that must be a real cost savings to you, especially with gas prices where they are um, to not have to drive all the way down there and drive all the way back. Well, for certain. I mean, we have cases in Orange County. We have cases in Sacramento and yeah, flying, staying in hotels, clients having to fly. We have clients, um, because we're in Santa Barbara, we have a lot of clients that travel here for vacation and they are involved in bad accidents here and they go back to where they live in North Carolina. Well, back in the day, everyone would fly out to North Carolina to take their deposition or they would fly back to California and now it can all be done by Zoom. So it's really convenient for everybody. It's a cost savings. It saves the environment, um, keeping people off the road and out of airplanes and various things like that. So it's been really a fantastic, uh, life-changing way of doing business for all of us. Do, do you find, I, I know, I mean, we do Zoom now on the radio. So I'm I'm obviously, you know, uh, pretty aware of how to do Zoom interviews. But uh, when... When I was at work um, and I was making a presentation, I like to be in the room because I could tell 
body movement, uh, expressions, uh, nervous ticks on the part of the person I'm talking to and, and, and read whether or not I'm getting to them. Do you lose any of that when you're do, doing a deposition with someone on Zoom? It was a transition in the beginning, but I gotta say, Neil, no. Like, I think I've probably done 500 Zoom depositions now, and we're getting better and better at reading people on that and, and understanding body language. And I think you, I mean, you were watching each other right now and we can tell each other's body language. So um, I think it it really doesn't affect it too much. There are certain situations where you really want to be in person, but for the most part, I, I don't think it really affects my ability to do my job at a high level. So, but I've heard other attorneys say it does affect them and they're not comfortable in doing that. So, you know, everybody's got to look at it a little bit differently. Um, so, so, you know what? Let's take a break. break. Yes, right. uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9. And we'll be right back with our final segment. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. This is the place that talks about Santa Barbara. Mike in the morning. Community Matters. Radio Real Estate. The Sports Lounge with Big Lou. Money Talk. The Andy Caldwell Show. Teen Sports Radio. Community Alert. Mortgage Matters. Welcome to the Voices. 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 Voices of Santa Barbara. The CEO Report. And CSUCI presents About Education. The Farm to Table Hour. Around the World. The Jeremiah Show. The Art and Antiques Radio Show. Garden Gossip. Cork and Fork Radio Show. Tell me your story. KZSB. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So, Chad, what is? tell us about the case you're most proud of that you helped resolve. Um, you know, a case that really moved me was a few years ago. Um, it was a tragedy and, and it moved me in the way that we made a real difference both for the family and the community. And it was a um, family that lost their 21 year old son uh, when the Oxnard Police Department mistook him for somebody they thought was a gang member and shot him 22 times. And it was in a lower income neighborhood in Oxnard. He had just been walking home from high school that night. He and his brother were working out at the local high school and the police were kind of after this gang member and he literally got shot 22 times. So it was a tragedy. It was a horrific incident, but the part of the good that came out of that as part of the resolution with Oxnard City was that all of the Oxnard PD had to institute body cameras from that point forward. They weren't using that, them at the time, yet a lot of other police departments were. So that was really rewarding. 
that they all had to start using body cameras so that they would have evidence of footage of like this and so on to make sure they can be held accountable when there's a mistake like that. So uh, it was a tragedy, but there was at least some good that came out of that when we resolved the case. And so tell us, um, it, I, I know you personally, and I know that you're very involved in the Santa Barbara community on the nonprofit side of things. Tell us about what you're involved in there and um, how you help them out. Being in Santa Barbara, we're all very fortunate. We have a lot of nonprofits here and we have a lot of opportunity to participate. Uh, one thing that I really enjoy in our law firm, um, my law partner and I both enjoy Tyrone, is that um, we've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to sponsor Santa Barbara Athletic Roundtable. We both have a love for our, uh, athletics. We both played sports. We had kids that played sports. And Santa Barbara Athletic Roundtable meets every Monday at Harry's and um, honors all the local high school and college athletes. They're invited to lunch. They're acknowledged for all of the efforts they put in, both on the field, in the pool, on the court, and also in the classroom. And so we're one of the main sponsors for that for the last seven years. And that's just been a joy to watch these kids get honored for all the efforts they put in. Um, so that's been great. And then I've recently joined the Santa Barbara Humane Board and uh, my family just loves animals. My kids love animals. So it was really a nice fit. And uh, they do some really great work in this community as well. Um, we're both with a veterinary clinic and also with placing dogs and placing animals and hel helping with animal welfare throughout the community. So those have been really two great things that have really brought a lot of joy and fulfillment to, um, to my life and my family's life and our law firm's life. So it's been great. Well, thank you for giving back to our community. So, you know, um, a couple, so if somebody out there was in an accident, what are the steps that they should take to protect themselves and how would they get in touch with you? Sure. So immediately after the accident, obviously pull over and get the information from the other driver, insurance, registration. Uh, if they'll let you get a copy of their driver's license, take pictures of their license plate, take pictures of the damage of the vehicles. And then when you're ready to, to get some advice from an attorney, give us a call. Uh, you can either Google us at mayhoprentice.com or you can call me at 805-962-1930. Or if you just Google Chad Prentice, we will show up. So, um, and, and call early. We give free advice. We do free consultations. We'll walk you through the process and help you with anything you need. So, and if, and, and it, it, you know, if you look at the television shows, it says, don't tell anybody anything. Um, does that go for an accident? Should you talk to someone like you first before talking to your own insurance company? Oh, no, you can call your own insurance company. Often the other insurance company will want to do a recorded statement pretty soon. I would say don't do a recorded statement without talking to an attorney first. Generally, I don't like my clients to do that. But you should certainly call your own insurance company, tell them that you're involved in an accident because that process gets going. Thank you so much, Chad Prentice. Um, thank you, uh, partner of Mayho and Prentice, um, premier law firm in town. Um, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week. Mm -hmm.